Welcome to Automated Mobility, the people behind the wheel. In this podcast series, we get to know the experts working in the field of automated mobility. What drives them and how do they think their work contributes to a better mobility system? I am your host, Henriette Cornet, and I am the coordinator of SHOW, a European project testing automated vehicles in real life. SHOW is led by UITP, the International Association of Public Transport. Together, With 70 other partners, we investigate a future where mobility is shared, connected, and automated. Today, for this first interview, we are talking to André Engelweg, who is working at Router, the Public Transport Authority of Oslo. Take one, episode one, the guinea pig. <laughs> exactly, the guinea pig experiment. Yeah. André, hi. Nice to have you with us today. Thank you for inviting me. Really cool. I'm looking forward to it. Great. Um, before we start in the, really in the middle of the topic of uh, automated shared mobility, let me introduce you to our audience. Uh, your name is André Engelvik. Uh, you are Executive Vice President of Radical Innovation at Ruter. So already quite a nice uh, keyword there with Radical Innovation. We will come back to that. Yep. Um, you are also chair of the Combined Mobility Committee at UITP. And lastly, you are a member of the advisory board of the show project. Yes. All correct. It's already quite a lot, I must say. Yeah. <clears throat> it sounds longer than it feels when you list it up like that. <laughs> um, in any case, all these positions that you have makes you the perfect first person, person to be interviewed. And we are really happy to start with you. This uh, series uh, of podcasts. Okay, so my first question will be directly to jump into the, the, the first position. So I will say, I guess, your main position at Ritter. Um, radical innovation, what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good question. It's a good question. It's, it's something um, that we have done recently. Um, and um, it, it needs to be made a point that these, this is radical innovations as seen from Ritter. So it might not be radical for everybody else, but seen from Ruter as a PTA, it is radical. And to us, this is about how do we move the organization forwards? How do we drive innovation and development throughout the organization? And my previous role was as, uh, as vice president for mobility services. Uh, and that has then evolved into basically two parts. One is uh, what we now call our portfolio of radical innovations, which is sort of the basis for the title and, and the primary responsibility. And that is really a set of things that the top management group works actively with. The top management group actually decides what goes into the portfolio, what goes out of the portfolio. Uh, do we move it further into the organization? Do we stop it? And all of this has to do with putting innovation on the top management's agenda in a clearer way. And these are innovations that deal with things that aren't tomorrow. It is maybe a year or two out at least. It might be five or ten years, but they might still be strategically important. And autonomous vehicles is an excellent example. Mm -hmm. We know they're coming, but uh, we don't quite know when yet. Mm -hmm. I think we will come back to yeah. that. To the, to but the... that's just an example. But that also challenges the rest of the organization to stretch on innovation that is closer to tomorrow and do more development and innovation work 
in that space between the radical innovations, which is sort of the way out there things, and the operational stuff that we do every, every day with all our customers. Maybe maybe it's a good occasion to ask um, the everyday, like the, the business as usual from Reuter. Uh, maybe some of our uh, audience uh, people don't know exactly what, uh, what Reuter is doing. You can remind us. Yeah. yeah. We're, the, we're the public transit authority for the capital region of Norway. And in pre-COVID-19 terms, which is sort of the, the current best reference still, uh, we had about a, a million boardings a day uh, with about 1.2 million uh, inhabitants in the geography that we cover. And we account for about 55% of all public transit in all of Norway. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're the biggest part there. And still about this position, um, what you're doing, a way I like to ask people about their job so that everyone can get it because uh, we don't know who this podcast will reach. Um, how would you explain your work to your, or how do you explain your work to your family members, to your friends, to people who are not uh, experts in the field of transportation, mobility, public transport, and so on? How would you describe your everyday life at, at Return and your, your role there? I'm basically trying to change the world. <laughs> and it, it sounds sort of like a big thing, but uh, basically, yes, changing the world in mobility and, and how we get around and how that works. And some of the things that we look at can really have that effect. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we probably will come back to some of that. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a very short version. And the slightly longer one is to, to work with new and new opportunities and, and innovations and, and possibilities for moving router forwards and making the world more sustainable and giving people more freedom to move about. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, It sounds very ambitious, but I guess we, we really need uh, this approach when we are speaking of uh, such innovation like automated mobility. Well, if we're going to live up to the name radical innovations, it needs to be at least ambitious. Uh, but also, we don't know if all of it's going to succeed. Some of it is going to be learning. Some of it is going to end up being not relevant or change into something entirely different. But the overall purpose is aligned with the company uh, company vision, which is, which is sustainable freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. So it's really working close to that and exploring opportunities. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like scouts. If you If you're moving into unknown territory, if you're, say, you're a, a military or somebody, before they move in the big army, they'll send out some scouts to figure out what is the best way to go. And we're sort of comparable to some of those people that are way out there trying to figure out what might be a good way. Yes, I think uh, I can I can totally follow you on that. I think that's also what UITP is trying to do in the field of automated mobility to see, let's say, I mean, UITP has a very um, long history with public transport, very more like, I would say, traditional, what we would call traditional now with modes like metro or tram and so on. And this exploration about autonom- uh, automated shared mobility is really like to see what is what is doable and if at the end we can improve the way people travel today. So I think we are, we are aligned on that. Yeah, and I'm sure we can. <laughs> yeah. We just need to go and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, still, 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 
everyone has to hold on uh, his and her breath <laughs> for more on uh, automated shared mobility because I still want to dig a bit about what you're doing, what's your activity. Let's jump now to the to the to the, the role that you have at uh, at UITP as the chair of the Combined uh, Mobility Committee. Can you tell us more what you are doing there? If it is different from your role at at Ritter and what's yeah, what's your insights from there? And first of all, it, it's a privilege to to uh, to be able to to hold such a chair or, or sit in such a chair, uh, and um, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I absolutely enjoy it, uh, and it's some of it is is very overlapping and and much of the same things that I work with every day in Ritter, and some perspectives are very very different. And um, some of the overlapping stuff is, uh, well, the autonomous vehicles or car sharing stuff or e-scooters and all the sort of mobility and practicalities and mass and all, all the discussions on that. Um, the different perspectives is from a committee and UITP perspective, one, trying to be or think globally, really trying to be of value to UITP members all around the globe. And, that, and that's very different from my normal job. <laughs> Has some, some international aspects to it, but it doesn't try to think on a global scale with everything. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting challenge. And also uh, the other half of that is how can I as a chair contribu contribute uh, to the committee doing stuff that's valuable for as many UITP members as possible? And UITP membership is very diverse. Yeah, I wanted to ask which type of members are part of this committee. Well, the committee has, uh, we have some PTAs uh, and some PTOs. Uh, we have car sharing. Um, can, you, can you tell uh, PTAs and PTOs for those who don't oh, know? <laughs> uh, public transit authorities, which is sort of the, uh, the, uh, the ones that uh, are part of the government and, and decides or... or or tenders out uh, contracts and stuff like that. PTOs are operators, those that actually operate either on a uh, contract of some kind or actually have drivers or trains and, and stock and things like that that actually operate a service uh, day to day. Uh, and then we have uh, car sharing companies uh, that is actually a result of a car sharing association that merged with UITP mm -hmm. uh, some years back. Uh, we're trying to, and we have had also some uh, e-scooter players, but that's a very dynamic market. So uh, currently I'm not entirely sure if we have any members in the committee that are with uh, the e-scooter biking players, but um, um, we're in, in trying to look for some. Uh, we have also some of the pure mass players. Mass, which yeah, is mo for... Mobility as a service. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, those that try to uh, deliver a, an integrated complete service on top of all other mobility modes at least that's one way to put it without getting into the definition discussion <laughs> uh, so as you can hear it, it's a quite a diverse group and uh, and really uh, the term trying to to tie it all together is combined mobility mm-hmm And which is also the, the committee name, but it really has to do with combining things. And it has the effect that we're concerned with the combination and the combining, but also because we're combining, 
some of the groups that we have in the committee aren't doesn't have any natural other homes within the UITP structure. E-scooter players, car sharing, some of those. Um, and also, it, it's really an honor then to, to be able to also say that some of the most read and, and forward-leaning policy briefs and documents from UITP, at least within uh, the autonomous vehicle space, has come from the committee. Mm-hmm. Some of, and just to be fair, some of that was before my time. So yeah, there's so been some really good people in that committee that has done some excellent work. So you're mentioning the policy brief on autonomous vehicles yes. from 2017. So for the audience, we will put the link yes. so that everyone can, can look at it. Because what I notice with this uh, policy brief is, although it is a few years back, 2017, for me, it's still very current and accurate in the way it describes autonomous mobility and the way we should look at it from a public transport, like shared mobility perspective. And that's why also it's in the name of this podcast that it's about shared mobility. But I guess I guess now it's a good moment to jump towards uh, really this, this uh, auto- automated shared mobility topic. And that will lead us also uh, to the show project, which is actually setting the, the context of this podcast. So it's kind of hosting uh, the podcast at the background. Um, the show project has been presented in the previous episode, Setting the Scene. Um, but for uh, for the, the newcomers that, that are joining now, so it's really, it's a European funded project in which we are looking at uh, the deployment of um, automated vehicles on the roads in like we call it real life uh, setting in which we can have over several months uh, the AVs used, we call it AVs for automated vehicles, so AVs used uh, by people in their everyday life. That's a, a challenge that we'll have in the project and the demonstration will start uh, next year in 2022. So regarding the show project, I mentioned at the beginning that you are a member of the advisory board. Um, I remember uh, you joining this uh, advisory board meeting uh, that we had in which you gave us really very Uh, good insights on the way automated shared mobility should be deployed and what we have to consider. Um, you have, I hope you still have the project in your mind that you remember all the things that we discussed. Like we have a lot of challenges, meaning we have, uh, we are addressing like technical challenges, of course, for technical development on the vehicles, on the infrastructure. But we work also a lot on services, developing really best services for the people. And we have also a pillar that maybe we can address a bit because it's very important for me personally is all about the citizen engagement and how to be sure that people are on board with us for this project. So can you tell us a word about your your involvement in the project as advisory board member and your your view on this project, the way you see it? And it's an impressive project and it's a big project. And I think it's on, at least to my knowledge, it's on the... Uh, on the scale of bigger uh, projects and bigger fundings that uh, the Re- European Union do into in, in research uh, in, uh, initiatives like these. And there is an impressive number of, of stakeholders. And of course, all of this generates an enormous amount of complexity. So there, I'm, I'm, I have the, uh, the privilege of not being exposed to all of that everyday complexity in, in, uh, in working with and, and doing such a big project. 
Um, but from an advisory board perspective, I think it is really, really good that we are doing projects like this. And I think it is a really strong testament to both UITP and other players' involvement that this is actually a UITP-led and coordinated project. And as far as the, the content and what we're doing, we can get lost in all sorts of discussions around all the different parts. I think that really the key and core to all of this is very, very close to the last part you touched on. And to me, what we need to do now is get wheels on the ground, out there, operate things, put customers in there, and learn and experience both operationally, regulatory, technically, and together with the customers. Today, we're used to inviting customers into a vehicle that has a driver, and you might even know him or her, or they'll nod to you and, and stop when you wave your hand and, and do things like that. And it's a natural interaction because it's another individual. It's another person. We have a lifetime of experience with other people, all of us, quite literally. And basically what we want in the future is to invite people into a vehicle that potentially doesn't have that, at least not as a driver. There might be other stuff going on, but as a driver, potentially not. And that's not something we can do with just flipping a switch. That needs to mature. That needs to happen uh, over time. And if, and I think personally, uh, there is an enormous upside for society and for individuals as well in getting good autonomous vehicle services and what they can be used for. And I would really would like to get it as soon as possible. But if we're going to get it sooner rather than later, then we need to get out there, get wheels on the ground, get customers on board, get them involved and transport them around. And I really think that the show project and what it does with actually putting wheels on the ground and working on all the complicated parts behind the scenes so that you can actually in the end get a customer in a vehicle and drive them somewhere. I think that's really, really key to moving us forwards. And I'd really like to see... 10 times the activity on doing stuff like that. Because in, if you do a simple test, if you look and talk to an audience somewhere and you ask them, okay, anyone that's ridden in an autonomous vehicle and not a Tesla, let's leave that out for now and let's not get into that discussion either. But take out the Teslas and who has ridden in an autonomous vehicle where there's nobody sort of holding their finger on the steering wheel or nothing like that, but a proper autonomous vehicle. You're not going to get a lot of hands raised. No, not yet. It's true. Yeah. And that's really what needs to change. And that's what, what we need to, to, to be able to do. And that means maturing, building trust, and bringing the customers along on the journey. Mm -hmm. So I'm really rooting for all the practicalities that do stuff like that. And also, if we can get the customer moved then we have actually done all the other stuff as well. Because in the end, the test of the technology, the regulation, the integrations, and the, all the operational stuff, when all of that comes together, when all of that actually works, that's when the customer comes into play. That's when the customer gets moved. So if the goal is to move the customer, then implicitly we have to deal with all the other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's, 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 I, I really can follow you on that and uh, I we are really aligned. Um, the way I like also to present the project is like 
There have been many um, um, demonstration pilots, uh, however, um, whatever you, you we call it, it's more terminology things, but like putting vehicles on like a remote area, uh, for example, at, uh, at some exhibition outside and a, a very quiet area where people can test it. And AVs are there. I'm, I notice a bit of an entertainment factor that people try it. I think it's good because it correlates already having AVs that are fun, like driving with AVs can be fun. And also with this mostly shuttles that are deployed yet, it gets into the people mind this idea of shared mobility for AVs. So that, that I really like, this connection that people like, uh, I don't know if it's a mental model that we will manage to build with this uh, short experimentation, but this, I think there are really their value in doing that. But Shaw is actually doing a way forward, a step forward, I would say, and I guess the next projects will be the same. It's integrating into the daily life of the people so that at the end, and this is something I got really from a, from, from citizens themselves telling, I'm, okay, I'm exaggerating, maybe provocating, but like, we don't care. We want the service to work. We want to go to work. We want to do our groceries and yep. our errands and everything. And it has to work. And yeah. I think that's what we would like to do to do in show. So, I, have you experienced something like in this direction in your in your in Ruter or? Um, I I totally agree with that. And and um, customers don't really care about all the hard stuff that we do every day. And often, if we are really good at our job, and this this applies even to current public transit and services that we do, and I'm fairly sure it's going to apply to autonomous vehicles once we get those into more regular operations as well. Uh, the expectation from the customer is 100%. Always, every day, every time, every journey. They expect all of it to work. And all the stuff that's behind making it work, they don't care. They really do not. The only time they care about, the, and they potentially wouldn't even care about the service, because most people don't travel every day because they want to travel. They travel just like you said, because they're doing something else. They're going to work. They're going shopping, visiting grandmother, going on out to, to the movies or, or out to eat. So basically the journey is just something that if they could skip it, they would. And that's being a utility. It's like power in the wall. We don't really care about the electricity in the wall until it's not there. That's when we care. And same thing with these services. Customers don't care until they don't work. Then they're really pissed at us. And then they want 100%. And when we get it back to our very, very best effort, then they're sort of, yeah, okay, we can live with this. So, and, but this is a general issue, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah, not only for automated vehicles, no. but like uh, for uh, public transport services in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'd, if we get to, if you think forward to a future where autonomous vehicles uh, is is normal or regular, the only time people will be concerned with them is when they don't work the way they should. Same as if you're waiting for the metro and it doesn't show up. Or if there is a problem with the tram or the bus doesn't arrive or you're delayed with the plane or that's when you when you're you're in, engaging with it mm -hmm. which is always a challenge always a challenge when you when you look at it from an operational side if I could make one more point um, what you touched on 
with this being brought out to customers as part of public transit and as something that's shared. Because public transit is basically sharing. That's the whole idea. And I think that's really, really important to get the good benefits from autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. This connects back to all the stuff that's in the policy brief, which should be mandatory reading for anyone that bothers listening to this podcast. Make sure you read the policy brief, and I totally agree, it's still valid, the ideas and the thinking and, and the basics. Um, but public transit being part of making this shared is really important to get the societal benefits that it can deliver. And it's also strategically important for the cities and the inhabitants that we get it that way. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that's perfect that you that you add this point because it it would have been also the for me the next question, meaning the speaking of the advantages that AVs could bring. So there are many mentioned in the policy brief, and they are mentioned in a way like they can be reached. These advantages can be reached. Uh, this potential can be reached if um, if autonomous vehicles are deployed as shared mobility. Um, can you maybe elaborate on that? You mentioned for the society the, the best uh, the, the best impact so on the society. What what do you mean? And uh, if it's not only on society, what other benefits can you do you have in mind uh, regarding to AVs for for shared mobility? There are. Absolutely some fantastic upsides. And um, the most profound has to do with the ability to foresee the potential for a transportation system where you don't need a private car. Or even a transportation system where the private car is not part of it. Potentially even banned. Or relegated to areas or parts of of, uh, of the world where where it makes more sense to, to have it like that. Would it be your perfect city vision? Uh, yeah. Car-free, car-free city? Yes. And speaking for Oslo, if we could deliver a car-free solution to our politicians, they would implement it tomorrow. And I don't think this is far off a lot of the agendas for cities, especially cities and, and urban areas, At least in Europe, the world, again, the world is different in different places and there are different ways of dealing with and doing things around the globe. But at least European cities have strong climate agendas, are really pushing for other solutions than private cars. And the pandemic has accelerated that as well because when you can't use public transit the way you used to during the pandemic, everybody can't do the car instead. So bike lanes and bike systems and e-scooter usage and other stuff has really uh, come into play a lot more. And autonomous vehicles, if they could go in, and, and we've done some simulations and, and math on this for, for Oslo, has been done for many other cities by the International Transport Forum and some independent stuff as well. And all of it shows that you can replace all of the privately owned cars with a fleet of shared ride-sharing uh, vehicles, and you can reduce the number of vehicles in the city by at least 90% or more, and you can take out 30% or more of the vehicle kilometers driven, which is the, how dense the traffic is on the road. And both of those things impacts infrastructure building really heavily. Why would you need to build more roads 
if you have less traffic. It might still grow over time if you travel more and things like that. But at least you don't have a demand growth that is where it is today. And that hits really well both with the economical agenda and also with the, uh, uh, the sustainability agenda. Because also building infrastructure is a drain on how we, how we create a more sustainable future. So that, that's just the infrastructure part. And I have more. <laughs> the other thing that, uh, or one of the other things that really uh, is an excellent upside in this is actually the services and the quality of service that you can get uh, for the individual and for the customers. And this has direct consequences regarding um, marginal groups or underserved groups and also groups that either don't own or can't own or can't operate cars. Um, and in a lot of the world, there's a lot of people that are living longer. And globally, we're getting more, uh, more people being older. And at a certain point, uh, you either can't or, not allow, or, or are not allowed to drive a private car anymore. So how can we create quality of life and, and enable that mm -hmm. still? Could you link maybe, like, can we link back to the automated vehicles? Because you mentioned this underserved population yep. and so on. Yep. And that's where it rings a, bell in, uh, in, yeah. a bell in my mind, like saying maybe there autonomous vehicles are, have a role to play. Absolutely. And first of all, if you can't drive, if you can have an auto automated vehicle drive for you instead, well, then you don't need, need a driver's license. So that means that I, such a service could serve anyone that previously had a car. And for the underserved uh, areas, a lot of this has to do with service availability and cost. If you look at current cost of autonomous vehicles at the stage we're at now, they're expensive and more equipment and blah, blah. When, if you sort of fast forward to a reality where this is at scale, with scale production and, and, and matured, Um, there is an expectation that services would be cheaper and that would make them available to more people. And also, instead of having to do a public transit journey with potentially one or two or three um, interchanges where you actually switch from a, a metro to a bus to a metro or a tram or do things like that where you have complicated journeys, you could have a direct point-to-point -point journey and it could potentially be cheaper. And it would be better for society because areas, say areas of a city um, where you have a long journey to a large part of where you can work, that would normally not be very, a very attractive part of the city. But if you can get a lot easier access to jobs, that would most likely both make the area of the city more attractive, it had to have the potential to create more opportunity for the people actually living there. And if they can have more work or better work or get higher salaries because they have more opportunities, that would lift the entire community and drive that forwards. And that's really, really a big societal effect uh, that we could have. But for that to happen, we would have to actually deploy it like the policy brief says. So it's all there. <laughs> Coming back to it. Um, yeah, I really like your, your, your vision, meaning like 
many talks that I have are really on the on the technology limitation of uh, of, of AVs and so on. And I like the way that you look at AVs really from a, a global perspective, really from a city perspective, from a service, from a societal uh, advantages that uh, that AVs could bring. Um, any other upsides about AVs that you would like to mention? Something so, for example. Uh, the European Commission, by funding the uh, the show project, and um, they want to explore yeah, all the capabilities and so on. And they have already stated uh, upfront some uh, motivation for it. Safety being the first one always mentioned, but also efficiency, cost, uh, accessibility would be uh, matching with what we have just said before. Um, so, what what is your personal motivation for investigating this uh, this field, like on working in this field um, for AVs? Um, and I think my personal motivation is that, of course, I, I have I come from a technology background, and and I think uh, I've always enjoyed technology. I have an IT education with an I, in IT, and. Um, Apart from working with something like uh, SpaceX or NASA or building stuff on Mars or doing something r r seriously radically out there. Yeah, I wanted to say that's radical innovation. <laughs> that, that's really, really pushing the boundaries. Uh, and the cool thing is that they're actually doing it. They're not just talking about it. They're actually wor seriously working on it. Um, if I'm not going to go there... I think this is really one of the coolest and, and most exciting things that I could actually work with, just from the sort of the technology side of it, from uh, on a personal side. And the other half of it, at least for me, is that if we do this the correct way, it's a fantastic opportunity to use technology, which I'm fond of and enjoy and think is fun, um, to actually do good things for society as a whole. Both for on on a big scale, if you can build little less roads, or if you can take out, um, uh, do do change uh, how people live their lives and stuff like that, on a societal level, that's one part of it, and and reduce number of cars and emissions and all that, and and also when you can get to the point where you can actually do something that makes a difference in the life for an individual. We've been experimenting, and just to have do an example of that, we've, we've been experimenting in Oslo with a. Uh, mobility service specifically tailored to elderly people to, to, that are not working anymore. And they, they're healthy and, and fit, but it might be a slightly too long for them to walk to the nearest bus stop. And the bus doesn't always fit well with, uh, with, uh, with, um, with their needs. And when they, and we set up a service together with the city, um, specifically targeting them. And when you get feedback from individuals that say, I have never been out as much in my old days as I am now. This has changed my life. I'm doing things that I didn't do. I'm interacting with more people. And that's that really, that feeling is good. And, uh, and to be able to be part of that without being a doctor saving lives or being on the front lines in the COVID-19 uh, pandemics, to me, that, uh, that's good fulfillment on a personal level. Nice, yeah. You can feel that you contribute. You contribute really to yes. people, people's life. Yes. And also, when I get old, I don't want to drive a car anymore. If I today could let the car drive and not drive, I'd be happy to do that. Mm -hmm. Have the car drive instead. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm so, just saying. It's not, uh, yeah. Um, 
Okay, so we are coming slowly to the to the to the end of uh, of this podcast. One question, which is not so small as you will see, uh, when we speak of automated shared mobility. Okay, what do we need next? <laughs> what will be the next step? What would be the Let's say, um, okay, we, we will need, of course, more funding, harmonization of legislation, technology progress, all of that. But from your perspective, if you had to choose, what, what would it be? What would be the next step we have to, uh, to investigate? Uh, it sort of brings me back to, to some of the points where we started. I generally think that getting more stuff to happen on the road that involves customers and also... Um, getting pushing the boundaries of, of the technology. When I look at look around in the world, I don't know everything that goes on, but I have an idea of some of the stuff that's going on. And um, the there is good technology that has gotten quite far out there, but it's hard to get a hold of. It's hard to 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 get scale deployments, and because everybody's scared. If you go ahead and do an Uber and kill somebody with an autonomous vehicle, you're afraid that all of the big investment is going to go out the window and it's going to be a complete setback. And of course, that's one of the challenges in this. Uh, but at the same time, if we're not pushing for that, if we're not aiming for doing, as, as you mentioned, not the closed circuit uh, trial things, but doing real life things that we can put out there in the real world of people where we can have customers that actually do things. And we need to chase that. And unfortunately, that means that we probably need to work a little bit on everything. Uh, but I do think that one of the key things to get to something sensible is, um, it might not be a good term, but I've started calling it a digital driver. Meaning the intelligence or the the artificial intelligence and and um, sensor and driving technology that enables a car to to drive on its own, not the vehicle itself, not in in that sense the the service either, but that driver is the key component that changes when we make it autonomous, and that's the one where we I'd, I'd like to really ha get my hands on the very best one in the world, which is probably a combination of a couple of them, uh, but pushing that technology component so we can get more customers and more services, that would be it. Regulatory stuff, uh, we can sort that out. Get us enough exceptions that it's safe and are we going to regulate this, that, or the other way? Too soon to say. Should we sit down and wait for it? Well, if we wait for it, we're not going to get anything done because we're not going to have anything to try out. So again, All the other stuff, it needs to learn from the practical operations, learn from the things where we can actually expose customers to it. So in that sense, we need a show times 10 with better technology. Um, actually, I still have one question. I said that was my last question, but yeah. I still have one. Cool, um, this is fun. Go ahead. <laughs> um, show is a European project. And um, so I walked myself in Singapore before coming here. Um, and it was very interesting for me because Singapore is very ahead towards all this AVs development and, and deployment and so on. But still I was, uh, I can say, uh, I feel very much European <laughs> and I was happy to come back, although I enjoyed my time there. And being part of a European project for me is also like very fun. I love it. I love the, the collaboration with the different countries and so on. And 
I'm kind of maybe an idealist thinking if Europe could be like special in terms of AV development, deployment, acceptance, I don't know. But do we have something special in Europe? Because we have the huge player, you mentioned Tesla before, SpaceX and so on, you, from the US coming with very strong technology, same from uh, Asia, uh, Asian countries like, uh, like Singapore. What, what can we do in Europe? Where can we position uh, ourselves to, to contribute to this journey? Or like, what's your vision? I think we have two key components and there are two, two things and, and a willingness to do things. Uh, one, we have inhabitants and customers. They have that, the other ones as well. But we also have cities with strong environmental agendas that are driving serious change and challenging uh, sort of the, the private car thinking and model for the world. And that gives us an opportunity to be the big transformative deployments. If I think towards... Singapore is a bit special because Singapore has... I think they already have more than 60% public transit and they have set a goal to get to 70%, again, pre-COVID-19. Uh, so half of their uh, investment in, in um, autonomous vehicles um, is trying to make this something that they can make money of to the rest of the world. Um, but but we can still do the big deployments. So who's going to be the first city that says, okay, within these square miles or these square kilometers, we're going to ban private cars and we're going to put in a fleet of autonomous vehicles. So everybody's going to get to do all the stuff they do. They're going to travel all their journeys everywhere, but no, you're not going to do it with a private car. And... Those kinds of, of deployments, of course, that's demanding. It's a high bar and there's a lot of consequences and, and things like that. But that might end up being a good model for how can you make this into something good for society. Other countries or other parts of the world might choose differently. Uh, but if we do this correctly, we could end up being one of the most attractive parts of the world to live in. And that is really what everybody is after, both the people living there. And, of course, if we have such a good system of mobility and other services in Europe, that the next headquarter for being it an American or Asian, Didi or, or Google or whatever, if they're going to get the best people, they need to put their headquarter in Europe because that's where the people want to live. That's when we're really utilizing all the good stuff happening around the globe to get ourselves an edge, which is both good for ourselves today and that has potential for the future. Great, great. Thanks, thanks, Andre. Thanks a lot for, for, for this uh, interview, for this discussion. I learned a lot myself. I hope the audience enjoy it. And um, we keep in touch, of course, for, for collaboration and new projects. Most definitely. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Automating Mobility, the people behind the wheel. This podcast would not have been possible without the support from the Horizon 2020 program by the European Commission under the grant agreement number 875530. Check out the links for the show project and other references in the description of the episode and subscribe to our newsletter to stay tuned. Don't hesitate to share this episode or give us feedback to it. 
My name is Henriette Cornet from UITP and I hope to see you at our next episode.